Thank you, Lord, for being Emmanuel, God with us, not leaving us in our own darkness, but being a light to the world. Thank you for coming into our lives with your love. Thank you for bringing healing into our brokenness. Lord, as we consider the state of our world today, we pray against violence and the abuse of power. We pray for more leaders with integrity, honesty, and governmental skills. We pray for those who are caught up in conflicts at this time in Yemen, Syria, Congo, and other nations. We pray for those today affected by the tsunami in Indonesia. We pray there be no more death, and we pray for swift help and recovery. We pray for peace in our world. We pray for food and for shelter for all of those in need. Lord, we pray for our local community. We pray for peace on our streets. We pray for help for those who are ill or lonely. We thank you for those who have helped to settle, uh, who helped to settle refugees from Syria into Lewisham this year and for those coming in the year ahead. And we thank you for the work of Lewisham Food Bank for the tons of food given and the hundreds of families helped. And finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves and our families. We pray at this Christmas time for more of your grace, your peace, your comfort, your hope, and your joy. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, the Prince of Peace. Amen. We're going to hear from Mr. Paul Glennie now, and he's going to bring Christmas message to us. Amen. Are you enjoying the morning so far? Yeah, well, that's all going to stop now. Okay, that's finished. Right, this morning, I'm going to get on with it and try and keep it short and simple, I hope. Um, I wanted to uh, suggest a couple of points to you. First point is this, that I think that God is constantly trying to communicate with us, but he's got a really difficult job on his hands. I think what he's trying to do is to build faith and trust in us, but it's not easy for him. And the second point I want to make is that one of the reasons it's not easy for him is that while he's trying to do this work of of communicating with us to build faith and trust, something inside of us rises up and tries to suffocate that and blot it out. And that thing is called pride. Actually, specifically, I've called it intellectual pride. Now, um, the Christmas story, um, which we've heard a little bit about in the readings earlier, is it actually doesn't cover m- many chapters. There's, there's only two Gospels that deal with it and a few chapters at that, so there's not much. But in those few little chapters and accounts are lots of things which are really, really difficult for 21st century educated people like you to believe. It's really difficult. Um, For instance, just in those few chapters, angels appeared to people on three separate occasions and gave really important messages. And as Nigel said earlier, um, actually, in actual fact, in the accounts that we read about Christmas, there are... Two people have five dreams between them. And we already know that one person had four of those dreams. Who was that? Joseph. That's right. 
Who was the, fit, the other person that had the fifth dream? Nigel. You didn't get quizzed. Yeah, the, and I wondered, was it all the wise men had the same dream? Was it Probably one of them. But the wise men, the magi, had the other dreams. So five dreams, which all gave life-changing direction. So, so what we've just seen in, um, just in that little snapshot that I've just given is we've got angels appearing to people. Have you ever, it's a rhetorical question, don't come back to me. Have you ever met an angel? Has an angel ever appeared to you? Peter, you are such a smarmy, he's cuddling Debbie. Did an angel appear to you? Yeah, okay. Okay. <clears throat> but if you read the verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it might change your mind about whether you've actually met an angel or not. I'll leave you to look at that in your own time. So angels appear and, and give messages. There's a star which people follow to a specific destination. Can that really happen? Could a star really lead you somewhere? And, and lastly, there's a young woman who has a baby without having sex first, a virgin birth. Can that happen? Could that really happen? Now, we've got a question to ask ourselves when we're confronted with these things. Do we believe this stuff? Do you believe it? And I've wrestled with this, and I've decided, you know what, I do believe it. I do believe there is a God. I do believe that God can do anything, and I believe it because he is God, and that's why he could do anything. But, you know, if someone like me is going to make a statement like that, you better sit down and work out, why are you saying that? Why do you believe it? Because someone's going to ask you, and you better have a good reason for believing this incredible stuff. So as I said earlier, I think that God is constantly trying to communicate with you and me in order to build up our faith and our trust. But he's got a really difficult task in doing that. Why is that? Okay, you don't need me to tell you what goes on on any tube train on any bus, at any time of the day or night, what are people doing on the tube and on the bus any time they're on them? What are they doing? Sorry? Yeah, they're looking at their mobile phone. What else? They've got their earphones plugged in. What else are they doing? Sorry? Are they communicating? But while they're communicating, commuting, <laughs> sorry, while they're commuting, they're reading books and newspapers It's all going on. We live such incredibly busy and full lives these days. Do we not? Do we not? You know, you've got right from the cradle to the grave, you've got little kids learning stuff in school and having to remember for tests the information they've been given. You've got young people going to university and having a curriculum to study and worry about. You've got you guys in careers and you've got career development and you're constantly having to learn new skills and have new knowledge. And if you happen to have a family with children, you're involved with shopping and cooking and ironing and cleaning. And, uh, and that's with paying the bills. And then at night, you cook the dinner, watch an hour or two of television and collapse into bed, all ready for it all to start again the next day. Is that true or not? We live incredibly busy lives. How is God 
going to break through all that? When are you going to get time to read the Bible and kind of soak up the truths that God is trying to give you? We're so busy. It's called whirling around in our head all the time. How is God going to get through to you? Well, I believe that, thankfully, that God is God and he can do lots of stuff. And he's got loads of ways that he communicates with us. And I just want to talk about one of them. And it's something I thought about because of something that happened to me, which I'm going to tell you about. And I believe that God communicates to us through our feelings. And why do I think he communicates to us through our feelings? It's because that our feelings often dictate what we think and what we do. Now, it's not always a good judge to go by your feelings, but often it is. Often it is right to go by your feelings, but not always. Okay, what am I talking about? Let me give you an example of this. In, in my former life, years and years ago when I used to work, hurrah, I, any, any of you guys get to retirement as quickly as you can, take it, it's great. You get paid for doing nothing. Absolutely brilliant. But in my former life, I was a fire officer, um, and during my 30 years, we were always being sent on training courses. Do you go on training courses? We went on loads of training courses about all kinds of things. And one of the places we used to go to is an actually absolutely brilliant place. It's called the National Fire Service College, and it's in a place called Morton in Marsh, Gloucestershire. Lovely area of the world, great pubs. Anyway, so now this place is, it used to be an airfield. It's huge. And if you go down there on a fire course, and it's to do with learning to deal with incidents, say, on trains, guess what? You've got real trains and real carriages on real rails. And when you go to these incidents to practice what you do when you go to such an incident, they sometimes flip over a passenger train and they put people all dressed up with blood and wounds and they scream and yell at you and you have to deal with them just like it's the real thing. It's absolutely brilliant training. Similarly, if you're dealing with incidents that have um, aeroplanes or helicopters, guess what? They've got real aeroplanes and real helicopters for you to play with. It's absolutely brilliant. It's an adult's dream because you can play like kids, but it's all very serious, really. And so um, I was down there. Now, one time I was down there on a training course, something brilliant happened. We were invited to observe an exercise that another course were going to undertake. Now, this other course were a team of fire investigation officers. Now, what do you think fire investigation officers do? Well, they investigate fires, don't they? So after a fire is out, the fire fire investigation team go into that situation and determine why the fire happened. And that way, hopefully, they can stop it happening again. Anyway, this fire investigation team were going to have an exercise the next day, and we were invited to go and watch it. And when they told us what it was, we couldn't wait. So what they were going to do was they were going to get a real car and they were going to fill it with Semtex explosives and then they were going to blow it up. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant, real stuff. And, um, And then they were going to send in the fire investigation team to investigate and determine what actually happened and why did it happen. So couldn't wait. So the next day came and we all poured out onto this great big, we call it the fire ground out there, And there's this real car, and they're loading it up with explosives. Brilliant. And we're all kind of standing around. Of course, you know, you get health and safety to death. Don't you just hate health and safety? It spoils anything that's really fun. And they said, 
you can't stay here, move back, move back. So we all had to go back about a mile, actually it was about 100 metres, but it seemed like a mile away. And I was thinking to myself, no, we're not going to see anything from here. Anyway, we stood there, and then the moment came. Three, two, one, go! And as I stood and looked, this 100 metres away, all I saw around the car was a white flash. And then a moment later, I heard this boom. And then a moment after that, it was like an invisible force smashed into my chest and punched a hole right through me. And it was like I was looking back, seeing my chest disappear into the distance. What on earth was that? Of course, I realised afterwards it was called aftershock. And although we were a long way away from the explosion... This invisible yet very real and very powerful force just passed right through me. You know, of course, we were all chatting about that afterwards. And actually, I've been thinking about it ever since. That's what I'm telling you now. Three things happened there, which is, I think, three things that God uses. And the three things are this. We saw something, heard something, and felt something. Now, the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. So when that car blew up, we saw something, first of all, the flash. Moments later, we heard the boom. And after that, we felt the impact of that blast wave, that aftershock. And I thought to myself, ah, that was interesting. And reflecting on it, I was thinking, you know what? I think God does that in our lives. He lets us see something. We, he lets us hear something. And then... We, he makes us feel something. And you know, those feelings often dictate our actions, as I said earlier. Let me give you another example of this. Okay, come with me back into the mists of time. I, yeah, we're traveling back. Okay, I am five years old. that tell you how long ago that was. I'm five years old. And I go, I don't know where you went. Where did you go to primary school? Don't answer me, but have a think. I went to St. Joseph's Roman Catholic primary school in Pitman Street, Camberwell. Anyone know that area? Off Wyndham Road? Yeah. That's where I went to primary school. Now I'm five. I don't remember much about what went on in those days, but I remember a few things. And one of them was this, that we had our, our classroom was a big open classroom. Actually, it probably wasn't that big, but when you're five, everything seems big, doesn't it? So, um, in that classroom there was something which we loved so much. And do you know what it was? It was a rocking horse, one of those real big ones that actually kind of go up and down. And I remember as kids, we used to fight each other to get a ride on that rocking horse. That was the best thing you could do any day of the week. Get on that horse and ride. That made your day. It's cool, really cool. There was another thing about that classroom. It had a great big open fire. Now, come on. What primary school do you know today that has an open fire with primary school kids knocking around? But, you know, back in the midst of time there, you know, that was all all right. It was all okay. And it had an even bigger metal fire guard that went across the fire so that it kept us all safe. So there we are in this room. I'm a five-year-old. And what I remember about that is just a few things is that every now and again, do you remember your, your primary school teacher's name? 
I do. Long-term memory work, short-term memory rubbish. Um, Miss Burke, our teacher, would call us and she would say, kids, come and sit by the fire. So we would sit down by the fire and I'd feel the warmth of the flames on my face. It was lovely. And then she would sit down on a chair and she would read us stories about Jesus. And you know what? What I remember is this. I remember the flames on the fire. I remember Miss Burke's friendly face. I remember her telling us stories about this person called Jesus. I'm five. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know anything about Jesus except what she's telling us. And she's telling us that this really kind man did lots of really lovely things to all sorts of people to help them in their lives. So, and do you know what that made me feel inside? It made me feel this. You know, I like this Jesus. He seems like a good man. That's what I thought. You see, what was happening there was I saw something. I saw this lovely environment, this warm, friendly environment. I heard the stories about this good man called Jesus. And what it did inside me is it warmed my heart. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know any religious stuff, really. I'm a five-year-old, but I just had that in me. I like this Jesus. Now, I want to tell you this, just in case it crops up in your mind. There was no religious pressure put on us, put on me, about anything else. There was, um, there was Miss Burke never said, look, now, this is what this story means, and this is how your life needs to work out in view of this story. She never did any of that stuff. There was no um, brainwashing of any kind. All I remember is this lovely environment, these lovely words, and this feeling of, I like this guy, Jesus. And that was it. I went through uh, St. Joseph's Roman Catholic Primary School uh, until I left, and that was it. I just went away with that feeling in my heart. But God used that later on, of course, in my life. Now, did you notice that in one of the readings this morning, this whole thing of seeing something, hearing something, feeling something came up? In fact, when you start looking through the Bible, it comes up all over the place. You can't avoid it, really. So we read about the shepherds, remember? Uh, someone read that. Now, just to make sense of that, you've got a bunch of guys who are going out to work a night shift. They are not special guys. This is not a special day. This is what they do every night, every week. It's their job. They go out to look after the sheep to make sure they don't get nicked by someone else or killed by predators. It's their job. And they go out. Do you know, it is not Christmas when the shepherds go out, it's not Christmas. This is just a day in the week because there was no Christmas. It hadn't happened and they didn't know anything about it. So they go out into the fields um, around to look after the sheep. And what happens? You know what happens, don't you? That suddenly, out of the blue, turns up some angels. And these angels have got a message. And the message goes something like this. They say, you know that there's a baby being born in, in a village over there, Bethlehem. And he's going to be the rescuer of the world. He's going to be the rescuer of the world. And that's going to make people really happy. Do you realise that? And they're probably going, no, we didn't realise that. Um, anyway, it goes on and stuff happens. And eventually the angels disappear. And... 
I guess the, once they'd gone, it went something like this, that one of the uh, shepherds probably stood up and he said, here guys, like George, Steve, Phil, Bob, you stay here, keep your eye on the, sh- the sheep. The rest of us, let's go and check this out. This is wild. Let's go and see if it's really true. And that's what seems to have happened. They, they go across to Bethlehem, they locate this little family gathering wherever it was, Mary, Joseph, the baby. And when they see that it was just the same as the angel had told them it would be, they kind of get, they start feeling something, probably feeling something they didn't expect to feel. They felt a kind of joy, a happiness. They felt somehow or other that they needed to worship God about this. And it says they went home worshipping God. They went back to work. That's really quite amazing, isn't it? I think. They saw something, the angels. They heard something, the angels' message. And it made them feel differently. And I think that God works through our things. I'd like to think that those angels' lives were changed forever. Sorry, the angels, the shepherds' lives were changed forever. We don't know. But it'd be nice to think that, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, something about me, just for your interest. Are you bored? Am I boring you? I hope not. I'm nearly finished, but promise. What's the time? Yeah, I'm trying to get through. I promise Nigel will be about 20-odd minutes. Nearly there. Okay, let me tell you something about me. I really love stories about animals. Anyone, any of you love that? One or two, great. I'm really pleased. Is that true? You really mean that? Yeah, great. I do. I love it. So, and I, I particularly love those stories like Wind in the Willows, if you know that story. So I can imagine a frog in a tweed suit with a monocle and a cigar. You know, I can just see it. And uh, all sorts of stuff kicking off around Wind in the Willowsville, wherever they live. Now, Ricky and I, that's my wife, um, we often go walking in the country. And if we go walking in, say, a wood or by a stream or down by a river, I'm away. I'm away. I'm imagining all sorts of stuff, you know, kicking off, little ratty going off to work, something in his mouth and some sort of incident happening. And I I can just see, I'm just there with, I can imagine a badger uh, as a policeman a fox as a burglar, and an owl as a high court judge. And there's some kind of animal detective story going on. I'm there. And I, you know, I'm not talking to Ricky, but it's all going on in my brain. And, um, and Ricky actually knows I'm like this. Um, a bit sad, but she knows I'm like this. And she often says to me, Paul, you love these stories so much. Why don't you write one of your own? And you know, on one occasion, am I telling the truth, Ricky? She's nodding. She, you better nod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she actually went out and bought a, a notepad and some pens, came back, gave them to me, and said, there you are, get on with it. <laughs> and needless to say, have I written loads of stories? No. No, I haven't. But, you know, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Now, I haven't written a story, but there is one storyline that is knocking around my head, and it's been there for ages, and it just won't go. Shall I tell you about it? Just a little preview. Let me tell you about it. Okay. It is called, are you ready for this? It is called The Ant and the Block of Flats. The Ant and the Block of Flats. Uh, come on. Bear, you know, go with me on this. Go with, yeah, in fact, I do want you to go with me on this. So here we go. We're going into this story, The Ant and the Block of Flats. So it goes something like this. Are, are you ready? Are you going to live this with me? So one morning, an ant 
creeps out of his cosy little ant heap. And he climbs up a slope. Here he goes. And he gets up on the slope. And he looks at... Beg your pardon? Health is, we don't need health and safety. We've got fire, open fires and all that. We've got Nigel trying to light fires. Um, whoops. And um, so the ant... Stop heckling me, Peter. You're messing me up. So the ant is up on a slope and he's surveying all he can see. But to his absolute surprise, he sees this. That out of the ground is a great stone. Now this stone seems to grow out of the ground. And as he looks up, he looks up and up and up. And it seems to touch the sky. And he's gobsmacked. Of course, what he's looking at is a block of flats. But he doesn't know that because he's an ant with a tiny brain. Okay, so now he, he turns up uh, to, to have a look at this scene uh, day after day after day. And he begins to notice things about this scene. What he notices is that in the mornings, you ready for this? Hold on to your seats. Giants appear from the stone. Giants come out. What he doesn't realise is those giants are children going to school, dad's going to work and mum's doing the shopping. But he doesn't know that because he's an ant and he's got a tiny brain. He also notices that in the, when it gets dark at night, again, buckle up, when it gets dark at night, lights come on inside this stone. Strange lights. And the ant wonders to himself, how can so many suns get inside that stone? See, he can't work it out. He's an, he's an ant with a tiny brain. Now, the story goes on. I won't bore you anymore. No, no. <laughs> Why am I telling you uh, this uh, childish story? Well, it's because of this. As I, I believe that God is always trying to show us things. And let me just get my notes so that I don't get this wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that all around us, there are things which we don't understand. And I told you, I said at the start, that pride is something that rises up in all of us at times. Where if we can't understand anything, well, it's not true, is it? Because we don't understand it. Now, if we could say to that ant, let, let's, do, let's do a little example. Take him back into a building with a big atrium and take the ant over to uh, a wall and point to a light switch and say to the ant, do you know what? If you press that switch, this whole place will fill with light. You know, the ant is probably going to go, are you what? <laughs> are you on one or something like that? Um, and because he doesn't understand that hidden in the wall are things called electric cables. And flowing in those cables is something called electricity. So when you touch that switch, the lights come on. He doesn't get that. But you know what? Don't we have the same reaction of thinking, this is crazy. That can't possibly work, can it? When we read this, the very first things we read on the first page of the Bible when we open it says this. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without shape and it was void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. So God said, 
let there be light. And there was light. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God said, let there be light. And there was light. What? That's a bit like saying to the ant, if you press that switch, the lights come on up here. Can't happen, can it? Well, actually, it can. And we understand now why it can. But it's so, uh, if I was talking to some guys in the gym, Frats, Ricky, you'll bear me out on this, and, and started saying that God created the world and then he, he made light just by How can you speak and create? How can I say something and something comes into being? How do these miraculous things happen? Let me, let me just take you back. The Bible's full of this stuff. I'm nearly finished, I promise. A couple more minutes and I'm done. Um, let me take you to Jesus one time wanting to catch up with some of his mates. They'd had a long day. His mates had gone off and he was catching them up. It was actually in the middle of the night now, pitch dark. The only thing was that they were rowing in a boat and he was walking across the water where the boat was floating on. And as he nears the boat, they see this kind of apparition and, and go and freak out. What's that? that you're supposed to do that? That doesn't happen. No one can do that. And I kind of imagine Jesus thinking, why not? We don't read that, it's not in the Bible, but you know, you just think he might have said that. So Jesus is walking on the water that they're laboring to row across. Believe that? Okay. Um, there's another example I wanted. Yeah. Imagine another story, not imagine, but remember another story. Jesus goes to a house where a twelve year old girl has just died. It's really sad, and there's a lot of sadness there. This is serious. And he goes in, and everybody's miserable because this little girl's just expired. And Jesus walks up to this little girl. He takes her by the hand. And the life that he gave her in the first place has just left her body. And Jesus calls it back again into her body. And he says to her, little girl, time to get up now. Stand up. And the life that come back into her fills her body and she stands up and she lives again. Impossible. People in the gym would say, what are you on? That, that, that can't happen, can it? it you know, that's just, that's just ridiculous. That, that can't happen. Let me just put two points to you. Year, centuries ago, people looked out on the world that was around them and they said, yep, that's the world, all right. And that's where it ends on the horizon and actually, if you sail a ship past the horizon, you're going to fall off. Because um, the Earth's flat, isn't it? And actually, at the time, that was probably a reasonable supposition to hold. And actually, if you'd have said in those times, no, no, the world's not flat, it's round, they'd have gone, what? You know, lock him up, he's a lunatic. But actually, we know later on, actually, the world isn't flat, and it is round. But we didn't know it then. And it was perfectly reasonable to believe what you believed then, because they didn't know any better. And also, for centuries, people have looked up at the moon. And over the years, we've made poems about it. We've written songs about it. Uh, children's stories uh, proclaim it's made of cheese. And there's a man who lives there. And sometimes you can see his face. The man in the moon. And, but, you know, it was all right to hold all those points of view because no one was ever going to find out the truth because no one was ever going to go there. Was that far too far away? Totally impossible to go to the moon and check out the facts. Oh, except that we have except that we found a way to fly up there, stand on it, work out what it's made of, and it's not cheese, and all of that. So what happens is, 
that if we, when we have the mind of an ant, the brain of an ant, we can't take in some of these things which we would say, oh, it's impossible, it's ridiculous, you can't possibly believe that. And that's that intellectual pride thing going on. Intellectual pride says, because I can't prove it, and because I can't understand it, then it can't be true. But actually, I think sometimes these things can be true, and they are true. And that's why I believe that there is a God, that he does do things which seem completely wacky, and he does them because he is God, and he knows things that I don't know. And uh, we don't need that pride to get in the way to deny that. So I've finished. I've finished, and I just want to um, leave you with two quick questions or thoughts. And one is this. You guys, are, you guys are 21st century educated people. But I want to ask you, are you guilty sometimes of intellectual pride? Because I can't understand it, because it seems too off the grid, then it couldn't happen, could it? It couldn't be true, could it? Are you guilty of that? Um, and lastly, over the next couple of days, Christmas is on Tuesday, we're probably going to see and hear the Christmas story relayed one way or another. We'll probably see videos on the telly, you know, movies on the telly. We'll hear Christmas carols, which has got the messages of Christmas in them. And we're gonna, so we're going to see some things, we're going to hear some things. Do you think um, you'll feel anything? And do you think those things that you might feel could change your way of life? And could it be that God could actually be trying to communicate with you? I just want to leave you those thoughts. Could God be trying to communicate with you? I just want to close in prayer. Thanks for listening. Lord, I'd like you to take these words and I'd like you to help us to assimilate them as, a, as appropriate to us and our lives. I pray, Lord, that you won't stop trying to communicate with us. I pray that you'll build up our faith. Lord, we know that faith isn't fact, otherwise it would be called fact. But faith is something which we make a decision about, something we choose to accept, even though we may not have all the information that we would like. And we trust that things that have worked out in the past and proven themselves to be worthy of uh, remembering uh, can do so again. Lord, I pray that you'll break into each of our lives, wherever we're at with our relationship with you, and be real to us this Christmas, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Paul.